0: It has been an interesting week as I have contemplated what it is that God would have me share with you this morning. Uh we've been getting emails, uh, you've been getting emails and Facebook is flooded with with pastors and people who want to try to provide good information telling us how we should respond and how we should feel and what it is that we should do and not do as a result of the virus. And uh, I agree that's all important stuff, but you know, Pastor Jeff and I were talking uh, a little while ago this morning and it's interesting because he and I were both in, in full-time ministry after 9-11. And what happened after 9-11 was everybody flocked to church. Churches were full. I remember we opened up church for, for hours and hours and hours during the day. Because we come to church because we want grounding. We want to know uh, where do we really stand? Where is God in all of this? And And the challenge now is... We want to be church. We still want to be connected, but we have to be separated. And so it's a very, very different thing. So in light of this virus, we do need to live and act and conduct ourselves differently because the simple fact is that this thing is spreading rapidly and the world has changed. But the message after 9-11 and the message today is the same. God hasn't changed. We know that things are going to change in the world. We know that things aren't going to stay the same. And and we might have a moment where we we love, and maybe that moment lasts for a month or a year, that we love the way things are going, but we know it's not going to be that way forever. The one thing that we know, the promise that we have, is God hasn't changed. God's love for you hasn't changed. So let's see what what we've got now, and I think it's really exciting for us as pastors and churches because... In the midst of this brand new darkness, and they call this a novel virus, not because it's a book or they're writing a book about it, which certainly they will. They call it that because it's brand new. There's, there's nothing about it that we've seen before. There's this brand new darkness that's closing in on us that as Christians, as people of faith, as people who believe that there is more to this life than just what it is that we see in front of us, There's an opportunity for us as the Christian church and for us individually as Christians to truly, in, in in a very new way, be the light of Jesus. There is an opportunity for us to share the light of Jesus and to be the light of Jesus. Even if we can't be physically next to people all the time, we can still do that. In the midst of all the common sense changes and the healthier protocols we've all been instructed to follow, I've also read an awful lot, and I've read an unfortunate lot lately, especially when it comes from people who who proclaim to be Christians, whether they're pastors or just self-proclaimed theologians and they're using whatever form that they've got, they've all got the same message. And the message seems to be, this is what we had coming. This virus is what we deserve this. This is God's wrath on America. This is God's execution of judgment. And the coronavirus is God's hand of destruction on the world for turning from Him. Now, God did do that with the flood. It's recorded in the Bible. God isn't shying away from it. He's actually very clear about his reasons for doing what he did with the flood. And the fact is that God can do whatever he wants to do in his good pleasure. But I do not believe that the coronavirus is the hand of Almighty God at work among us. What's really happening is those people are promoting a religious fear that just runs right alongside their, their religious opportunists that are promoting fear right alongside all the other things that we're told we have to be afraid of. And like Jonah, and that's what we're going to get to in a moment, I know the character of God well enough to know that through even the pandemic that we are experiencing, God will be glorified. And if we as Christians can just not lose sight of the fact that God is still in control, there's all kinds of things that we don't understand. And and we may see death and and some amount of collapse and destruction that we're hearing about it. But you know what? In the end, good will come from it in God's name. God will be glorified because that is who God is. We as Christians, despite the fact that we might have all kinds of questions, despite the fact that we might be afraid, and I don't blame you, there's things that I don't understand that, that... make me lay awake at night and wonder what's going to happen. But the one thing that I know is that none of this is beyond the control of God and that in the end, God's name will be glorified. And as Christians, we have a chance to act in a way now that we can look back and say, see, I knew I never had to lose faith. Knew I never had to lose faith because God was there all along. In the midst of all the unanswered questions with this situation, the one who truly knows all the answers is God. God. I do not believe with any part of me that God is causing the chaos. I see the timing of our Jonah series, and it makes me smile because all the way down to the text that we've got for us today seems to be an incredible example of godly timing. You hear me talk all the time about... about uh, divine appointments, that God makes divine appointments with His people. And I think this text today is a divine appointment for us today. The whole series, you got to understand, this whole series was planned out months ago. It isn't like we're, we're on the fly trying to figure it out. There's a lot of things on the fly that we're doing right now, and we're doing it all remotely, which is really, it's awesome for the technology that we have. We're trying to figure out how we can continue to be at the church in ways like this, but also in much more personal ways for you. And so keep an eye on our Facebook and keep an eye on our webpage. Uh, You're going to have a lot more coming at you in the next few days about how it is that we're going to be the church for you. But this series we had planned a long time ago, and it seems like it's a perfect opportunity for the people in America to do the very same things that the Ninevites did. See, we've got the opportunity to admit that we are a rebellious and an arrogant nation and to do exactly what we saw last week that the Ninevites did. When they heard the message of destruction that Jonah brought them... What the Bible says is that they believed in God and then they turned and repented. They, they turned from their evil. They repented. And you know, I look around America and what I see is all kinds of people that are grabbed by fear. They're still trying to keep living life the way they've always lived life. I see us running and carrying on and blaming and shaming whoever we can to blame and shame. And we still don't get it. We still think that somebody is responsible for what's going on. And because we can't put our, our finger on a person, we say, well, then it must be God. And you know what? If you're a Christian saying this is God raining down His judgment on us, please be careful because there are people who don't know who might believe that that's true. God is here caring for, loving, and waiting for us to repent. That is true. Uh, There was an article, just as an example, there was an article in the Walmart paper last week about uh, the, the office in the city of New London taking recommended precautions because it said a city employee had possibly been exposed to the virus. Well, that's a phrase that really we haven't paid attention to before, but this person had possibly been exposed to the virus. And so what the city did is they took the, the difficult steps because it isn't easy closing your office before you're told you have to, but they closed the office, not just to protect the employee and to protect the, the, uh, uh people that worked in the office, but also to protect the city of New London, the people of the city of New London, the employee hadn't done anything wrong. They just knew that there was a possibility that existed. And and so there's no reason to be angry or to blame anyone. And and in crisis mode, sometimes with human nature, that's what we want to do. We want to point our finger. It's kind of like when we hear about a sin that we feel might be convicting us because we know that we're doing it, we find someone else to point the finger at. There's one other little line in that article that I found interesting. It said the employee had returned uh, the week prior from a trip to Israel. Well, guess what's been happening with my phone since that hit ink in the paper last week? It has literally been blowing up with questions and accusation, even blame and threats, because all of the accusations and assumptions made were that someone from our group that had returned a month ago must have been that person and that I was withholding important information. And I could see what was happening. I was working on this message and I'm going, wow, it's, it's just interesting the way that our minds work. And it's come from people well outside our church as well as even from people inside that should know better. But let's be clear. Some of those people called because they were actually concerned. They were concerned about your health and because they're responsible for the well-being of at-risk people. And those questions are really important. So while it caught me off guard, it didn't make me angry. I knew when we'd come back, I knew it wasn't anybody from our trip. Why do I share this with you? Number one, because I want to say thank you to the folks at the city of New London who said the right thing, not the easy thing, but the right thing to do is to practice social distancing ahead of time. And they did it. They made the tough call. Thank you. The next thing we need to do is pray for whoever it is that may have been exposed and whoever else they're around, because this virus is a big deal. We need to pray for their health and the well-being. But then also, it's our time to not assume to not blame, to not shame. And America's gotten so good at shaming each other. You know what? We're not going to beat this virus by, by shaming other people that have it. It's our time to love as Christians. It's our time to love, to lead in faith, and to be examples of the love of Jesus. It's time to take the virus seriously and to stay home and to be the church in every way that we can. So following the example of the city, last Sunday the state asked us to limit gatherings to 250 people. So we worshipped two services, both of them had less than 250 people in each. And then the advisement came out shortly later and we'd been working as a staff saying, how do we address this now? And the advisement was, don't gather in groups of any more than 10 people. And so that was when we made the announcement. We got a whole bunch of houses that were willing to host small gatherings because we realized that the social isolation was already beginning to take a toll on people. And we realized that we've got a lot of folks who are in rural areas who don't have the Internet at home. And so we said, if you'd be willing to provide a host home for just a small gathering of people, uh, we put word out to make that happen. Well, two days later, after those plans were set, Word came out that what we should do is begin to completely socially isolate the six-foot barrier or the bumper when you're in public, a little more information on how the virus is transferred. And so with each bit of new information that's come out, as a church and as a staff, we want to be living examples of what it is to be cooperative and responsible citizens, but also to always shine the light of Jesus in the world. And so that's why we're, we're doing this live this morning, and there are literally three people in the room and one behind me. Because the most responsible thing we can do is to keep our distance from each other. The most responsible thing you can do is to do the very same thing. Here's why. This virus doesn't care what political party you affiliate with. The virus doesn't care whether you believe it's a scam, a hoax, or whether it's way overblown. It doesn't care about how old you are, doesn't care about the color of your skin, what country you're from, what language you speak. The virus doesn't doesn't care if you're a Christian, an atheist, a Muslim, or Jewish. The virus doesn't think, it doesn't feel, and it doesn't choose. It just is. And what that means is that we have to be smarter than the virus that doesn't even think, it just does what it does. And that jumps from person to person to person. We need to listen to the right voices. We just finished the series about making sure that we hear the right voices, that we listen and then we act. Now is the time to act, to start choosing to live differently. When Jonah went to the people of Nineveh, they weren't ready for the announcement that he made. He showed up, he went into the city, the main part of the city, and he start, started speaking that in 40 days the t- city would be overturned. They didn't come back and fight. They didn't argue with him. They didn't tell him he didn't have authority. They didn't say, who do you think you are? Who are you speaking for? Jonah never once said, I speak for God. For all they knew, he could have been speaking for a foreign king. He could have speaking for about anybody. But you know what they did? It tells us in verse 310 of the book of Jonah, and if you've got your Bibles, this is the time to turn to it. It says when, they saw, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented. And He did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. So right there, we've got to make the line that says this virus isn't something that God sent a prophet into America and threatened us with. But you know what? There have been people who have warned us about it. There have been people, even a few years ago, who have said, we've got to start taking precautions because this is the kind of thing that's going to take us to our knees. God showed Himself to be true to both His character and His nature. How do I know that? Because God is love. The Bible says He relented, and He did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. He relented from the destruction because they were living in their sin. And when they stopped... And they humbled themselves and they repented. God withdrew His hand of destruction and God relented. I I, I was talking to somebody last week and the King James Version actually says that God repented. Well, that doesn't really make sense in context. God didn't do anything wrong. The people had. God relented. He backed off His hand of destruction because He saw their actions and He saw that they were willing to accept, admit, and turn from their evil. They didn't do what we do and be honest. This is what we do. They didn't play, let's make a deal with God. They didn't say, okay, look, if we stop doing these eight really bad things, if we stop raiding and killing people and taking slaves, if we stop doing that, will you leave us alone? They didn't do that. They heard the message of destruction and they said, we got this coming. We know that we're not living the way we should. And so they repented. They turned from their evil rather than make a bunch of empty promises. They did it voluntarily. They didn't need, we see that they, they didn't need the king to tell them. The people did it because they knew that was the only hope that they had. So they repented and they did it immediately. And, and what's happening is we're being told over and over and over how to stop the spread of this virus. And you know what's happening? America is ignoring it. Restaurants are staying open, people are still getting together at each other's houses. There are churches that are still gathering their normal numbers of people. More on that in a moment. Jonah 4, 1-4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and Jonah became angry. Can you believe that? To Jonah, it seemed wrong. It seemed very wrong because God relented, and He didn't bring destruction. Seriously? And I, I think of Jonah, I think this guy would have been a really interesting dude to have met talk about the arrogance i mean we've had stupidity he ran the other way from god he's a wimp because he said i I belong in the ocean but you know what i'm not going to jump you're going to have to throw me now he's he's questioning god and he gets angry he's got the nerve to be angry after his sin after his rebellion after his disobedience hold on now you ever done anything similar have you ever done something you knew was wrong that's clearly outlined in God's Word that isn't for you? Have you ever done it and then when it came time to pay the price, you got mad at God? You got mad at God but you said, man, I should have gotten a free pass on that one. You know, the, the wages of sin is death and, and there is a price to be paid. And we've got to think about that. And I think the problem in America is just like with the virus. We think it isn't that real. See, Jonah's also like us. Because we get jealous. We've got envy, fear. Who are we to declare what is or is not fair? Who are we to decide what God cannot can and cannot do? Did Jonah have any right to be angry? He he had forgotten that God had already saved him from the ocean, he'd already saved him from the belly of the fish. Not only that, but he gave him a second opportunity to do the thing that God had called him to do. I think it's really, really important that we take a time to look at this and look at on it look honestly at who it is that we are and ask ourselves. What do you do when you're confronted with your sin? It's easy to point at the sin of others. Do you admit it, acknowledge it, repent, and make a different choice? Or are you like Jonah and and stubbornly rebel to God's face? Do you get angry with God in the midst of your sin? And if you do, what right do you think you have? Verse 2. So Jonah prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. This this prayer is a riot to me. Jonah's talking to him like he's just a guy down the street, number one. But he's got the nerve to admit to God that he knew God's character so well that he wanted no part of God's plan. He gives excuses for his disobedience, basically saying, you made me, God, because I know who you are. You made me turn and run the other way. It reminds me of all the way back in Genesis in the, in, uh, the Garden of Eden, when God comes to Adam and he tells them not to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge, and, and Adam goes and tells Eve, and then the serpent comes and talks to Eve and begins to temper and says, why not? You know, here's what it's really going to do for you. He doesn't go to Adam because God talked to Adam right and so the serpent already started playing unfair and he made he made Eve start to doubt made that fruit start looking good so they both eat of the fruit and God comes and says what are you doing where, where are you hiding and God says what is it you've done and you know what Adam's first response is he does the same thing that Jonah does he points to Eve and he goes it's the woman you gave me it's her fault I had nothing to do with it God Jonah's saying the same thing it's your fault God I know who you are. I know that you're loving and compassionate. And what Jonah doesn't say is, I don't want you to be. I want you to be mean to the people that I don't like. And I wonder how often that's true of us. We expect God's grace and forgiveness, but there are some people that we just think are beyond and that God shouldn't give grace and forgiveness to. So for the second time in this, in this book, Jonah does this. He says, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. First, he wanted to be thrown off the ship into the sea. didn't want to do it himself. wanted someone else to do it. What is it with Jonah that would rather be dead than to see God be gracious and compassionate with people he didn't like? Jonah is a man so filled with anger and bitterness and hatred, so much so that he'd rather end his life. Again, he asks God to do it rather than himself. He'd rather end his life than to see his enemies live. And I think what Jonah's really trying to do is to say, God, I'm going to force your hand. I'm going to see what you really think of me, how important I really am. I'm going to force your hand and say, if you don't kill them, then at least kill me. And the Lord replies to Jonah, is it right for you to be so angry? And I can't imagine that. I'd love to have heard God's tone of voice because I imagine it was something like that. Is it right for you to be so angry? Do you really have a reason to be angry with me, Jonah? Seriously, Jonah is angry because God has shown he is love. And now God has shown he is love and compassionate to Jonah, but he's also shown it to people that Jonah doesn't like. And in response, Jonah is angry, he's entitled, he's selfish, he's shown himself to be a wimp, and now he's a whiner. God must be thinking something like, Jonah, buddy, this isn't the time for you to be angry. Now is the time for you to be Sorry. Now is the time for you to repent, to apologize, to admit to me what you did wrong, rather than to try to be angry and blame me. So I look at it, and as I'm putting this message together this week, I think that our problem with repentance for most of us is really not much different than the problem that we're experiencing culturally with this idea of self-isolating. Here's what I mean. we both know, We all know what the problem is in both circumstances. With our sin, we know what the problem is. With COVID-19, we know what the problem is. It's clear. We've all heard it. We even know the result of not paying attention and changing how we live with both of them. With sin, if we continue to live live in it, and if we don't accept Jesus as our Savior, and if we don't accept and claim the forgiveness that we have in His salvation, the price of sin is death and eternal separation from God. The price of the COVID-19 virus... If we don't pay attention to what the government and, and medical people are telling us, the price of it is that everybody in this country is going to get it and somewhere between 2 and 10% of us are going to die. The world as we know it is going to change so dramatically we're not going to recognize it. But because of our stubbornness, because of our arrogance, and let's face it, it's rebelliousness. We don't really take either one very seriously. We don't take our sin seriously or we'd stop and we'd repent and we'd turn, from, turn to God. For crying out loud, if, if we really believed we needed Jesus, if we really believed He was our only hope in this world, we'd live differently. Church would be different. If we really believed that churches would be full across the country every Sunday with looking people looking for how it is that they could get the good news of Jesus, that they have experienced themselves salvation in Him, paying the price for their sin and receiving forgiveness, and getting that message out to everybody in the world who doesn't yet know, doesn't have that confidence... Churches would be full learning how to do that. the reality is churches are struggling. Churches are struggling for people to come because we've got so many other things that are going on and vying for our time. Churches are struggling financially because people have so many other priorities. The fact is, if we really believed it, we'd live differently. We'd live in gratitude. We'd live in generosity. We'd make different choices and we'd live for others. We would live the way God was asking Jonah to live, not selfishly for ourselves, but rather we'd live as disciples of Jesus because of what He has done for us. And we would understand that that Great Commission, the go, whether it's to someone who's in your family or across the street or someone that you work with you are currently social distance and only communicating by email with, you know what, you can still tell them about Jesus. We would listen to God's Word and we'd believe it. We would trust in it and we'd live differently because of it. In the same way, if we're going to be honest... We're not taking COVID-19 seriously. We've got every warning we need, every fact, every bit of evidence that we need to. And quite honestly, just like with our sin as a nation, we're being too cavalier. We're thinking that somehow we've got a shield because we're Americans and only the young and only the old and sick are going to get this virus and die. You know what? It isn't true. And I think that we have that attitude because whether we're Christian or not, we think that we know better. We take the little bits of information that we like hearing that excludes us from the target zone of the virus, just like we take the little bits of the Bible that we like hearing that Jesus loves me and that our sins are forgiven and that God can be our rock and, and our salvation. We take those things that make us feel good and we ignore everything else. We think that we know better because we haven't seen anything like it. So we're assuming it can't be as bad as people say. Read your history books, folks. It's not the first time something like this has happened, but this is a beast like we've never seen before. Besides, most of us, we're feeling fine, right? You don't feel sick. Eh, you got a runny nose, you figure maybe it's allergies. It's that time of year that we all feel a little bit cruddy. Well, what we keep hearing over and over and over is, just like we carry sin, even though we might acknowledge it and talk about it, we carry this virus and we pass it on to people. Just because you haven't felt sick yet doesn't mean you don't have it. Maybe you're one of the blessed ones who's carrying it but isn't suffering from it. You have a responsibility to the people around you, to your family, to your friends, to the people you work with, to your neighbors, to the people that we are in community with, to stay home. Six feet, how about we go further than that and we just say, let's stay home and let it die? Because you know what? Here's the fact if the virus doesn't have anyone to jump to, it stops. And that's the only hope that we've got to beat beat it is to quit giving it people to jump from one to another with. It's a time to be a good neighbor. It's a time to be light in the darkness and to be a believer in Jesus, not just in word, but in deed. And and, and I'm so sick. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sick. Uh, of Christian preachers on the Internet saying their faith is in God and God's going to protect us from the virus. Hold on a moment. If you're listening to that and you're hearing it, God is greater than the virus. But God didn't say, test me. Because of the virus. God gave us one opportunity to test them, and that's when our, with our tithing. And you know what? Most of us don't want to touch it. So, why in the world do we think we've suddenly got so phenomenal faith that we're going to test God with this virus? This is no time to put your faith in how great you think your faith is, because that's all you're doing. God isn't impressed with our stupidity. God is moved by repentance and turning back to Him. God isn't impressed with our arrogance. God isn't impressed with preachers who say, my faith is stronger than the virus and so don't worry about it. You know what? The day is going to come when they're going to regret those decisions. And as far as your faith goes, I hope it's strong. But it better be in Jesus. Not in your church. Not in your pastor. Not in a doctor or a government or a politician or a president. Your faith had better be in Jesus because the only hope that we have during this life and for the next is in Him. That hope is the promise of where we will spend eternity because our salvation is in Him. That hope is not about the promise that we're not going to get this virus. That just is not good theology, folks. Here's the bottom line, my friends. You've got a choice. You can believe in what's real or you can believe in what you feel. God's Word, His love for you and Jesus, hope in Jesus, those things are real. The COVID-19 virus is real. All of the hype and all the hysteria and all of the stuff that's make, meant to make us be so crazy we think the world is going to end that we go out and we rush and we buy enough toilet paper to, land to last us for 10 years. That's how we feel. Are you going to believe in what's real or are you going to believe in what's, what you feel? God is real. God in the midst of this situation is real. The call for us as Christians to be the church and to share the light of Jesus is real, Because there are people out there that are literally dying in their fear because they have no hope. As our world gets smaller and more isolated, we can still be the church, and we need to. We can be the church by being the love of Jesus, by simply texting people to check in with them. If you think about them, reach out to them. Make a phone call, text. Hey, we're gonna all have a lot more time, and sooner or later, uh, you're gonna get sick of every movie you ever thought you wanted to catch up on. You know what else you can do? You can you can call somebody on the phone, and you can pray with them rather than talk about your fears. Next week we're gonna we're gonna talk some more about those two chemicals that our brain has. Which one is it that most of us are engaging with right now? We don't have to be in physical proximity to people to live out the love of Jesus through caring words and actions. See, you already own the technology. I know that because you're watching this. You own the technology because it's either in your hands or on a screen right in front of you. You're listening to me, and that technology is going to allow you to connect to people. It's going to allow you to take this big world that's feeling suddenly more and more isolated and to make it a little bit closer to home. We can still be responsible citizens, but you know what? We need to love our neighbors by staying away from them. But that doesn't mean we can't stay connected to them. We can stay close, but not actually be close. So in the days ahead, folks, be the light of Jesus in this world. Be the church. Stay at home. Serve the world even as we're separated. Don't be like Jonah. Be like Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that uh, we know that You are eternal. You are yesterday, today, and forever, always the same. Our world changes, and, and we should be used to that. We have seen so many changes in our lifetime. Uh, that we have just taken for granted, but they're actually, they're actually just phenomenal. This change isn't fun. This change doesn't feel good. Uh, we're being forced to change. And so in our response, we've got the opportunity amidst all of that change to choose to change. To choose to change to be more like Jesus. To choose to be a better church, a more faithful church. To choose to accept and acknowledge and repent of our sin. To choose to believe in you not to buy into fear. God, in Your Holy Spirit, help us to choose well, to listen to the right voices, to listen to Your voice, and help us to be the church for each other. In Jesus' name, Amen.